0: Uh, we're going right back now into the Gospel of John. We finished our Frequently Asked question series last week. I am thrilled to be back in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I am Harold, one of the pastors here at Christ Central. So if you have your Bibles, it will also be projected overhead. Verses 21 to 30 of John, chapter 13. I've entitled it, Discovering Judas, Betraying Jesus. Okay, so let's give our, as our act of worship, I'll read this for us. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Okay, this is God's word so far. In this incredibly intimate, but ominous scene, Jesus says and he predicts, one of you will betray me, one of you will betray me. The author John, and I like how he liked to call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's him, was apparently leaning back on Jesus' chest. In Jesus' culture and custom, most likely the ate while lying sideways is better for digestion. But if you can imagine the depiction of how close up it was, all the disciples' heads and faces turned to the middle and John leaned back because his friend by the name of Peter was too scared to ask the question. But Peter prompted John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, to ask, "Uh, Jesus, you just said someone's gonna betray you. Who is it? Okay, Lord, who's it going to be? Now, I will tell you, that's a normal reaction. If you've been following Jesus, you're not quite sure if he's God yet, but he is a hero, he's a mentor, he's a leader, and he says, one of you is going to betray me, the normal human reaction would be, could that be me? You see, this indicates that he has some self-awareness, This indicates that your conscience is working. This indicates that you should be somewhat troubled and nervous and scared. You're not pathological. Now throughout this passage, there is no indication at any time that Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, ever wondered if it could be him. John and Peter asked Jesus, who is it? In other words, is it me? Could it be me? Am I the one that will betray you? Judas Iscariot, the one who does end up betraying Jesus, oblivious, hardened, and we quickly say, you see, there you go. He's pathological. He has no conscience. He's so far gone, and so we usually treat this story in a way where we feel better about ourselves compared to Judas. In other words, a lot of poems, a lot of songs, and a lot of plays, with the exception of a few, overly demonize Judas. We quickly dismiss him as, he is so much worse than I ever could be. But is that really the case? Actually, this morning, as I have been so shaped by studying God's word, my case is, I don't think he was that much worse. Now, please stay with me here. Don't leave this church. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, was not so much worse. Was not so much worse. You know, in this crazy verse that we just read, verse 27, then after he, Judas, had taken the morsel, quote, Satan entered into him, end quote. So again, those of you on the side of dismissing and demonizing Judas, you say, look, look at that proof. This guy wasn't just demon-possessed. He was Satan-possessed. Are you trying to tell me this guy isn't so far off, so far gone compared to me? Let me give us another little example. You know the other guy who prompted John to ask the question, Lord, who is it, by the name of Peter? In Matthew chapter 16, went straight up to Jesus and said something to the effect, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Peter, the follower of Jesus, told him, you don't have to really go suffer and die. The road to glory could be comfortable and easy and safe. And do you know what Jesus turned around and said back to Peter? After Peter said, you don't have to die. You don't have to go to the cross. Here's what he said. Let me quote him. Get behind me, Satan. So here in verse 27, we evidently know that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, but over in Matthew chapter 16, the same disciple who's at this table, whose conscience does work, at one point is confronted by Jesus and Jesus explicitly tells him to his face, what you are saying, what you remind me of, how you're acting reminds me of someone else. His name is Satan. So both Judas and Peter are linked with Satan. You know, several weeks ago, amid all the horror and the violence of Charlottesville, Virginia, by the way, that's where a neo-Nazi alt-right movement, Unite the Right, was held place, supposedly to defend the demolition of a statue of a Confederate general by the name of Robert E. Lee, and... I'd say courageously, a lot of white Christian leaders in the aftermath of Charlottesville unequivocally said, all forms of racism is evil, it's dead wrong. God hates it. In particular, white supremacy, neo-Nazis, all violence, all types of discrimination based on the color of your skin is not congruent with equality in the image of God among all humanity. Christian leaders, some went so far as to say, not only we as white leaders need to take some responsibility of systemic, ongoing, generational racism, but they called out this alt-right movement as being, quote, satanic. They said, what we saw here and what we are appalled by is this was satanic do you know that there was one church of satan that wrote a response letter to the christian leaders and the church of satan a liberal one at that said please leave satan out of this it's all the people's fault how ironic that the church of satan never wants to acknowledge it could be satan it's all the people's fault and you're right It is people's fault, it is my fault, it is your fault. We don't blame Satan for the atrocities or the sins that we commit, but I'll tell you there's a similar satanic spirit and the spirit of Satan has always worked like this. It worked in Judas, it worked in Peter, and it worked in Charlottesville. It's the same spirit, it's the same spirit. It always goes like this. My life over and against yours, self supremacy over and against self sacrifice. Satan will always demand I come first, everyone else takes second. Self-preservation, self-supremacy, self-happiness, self-fulfillment, over and against all forms of self-sacrifice. My friend Jesus said, Judas, I know Satan entered into you. Peter, when you talk like that, I know Satan's behind you. How about you and me? Are we that much better? Now, you see, I think Judas Iscariot's gotten a bad rap. I really do. I think we try to feel so much better than him, but I want us to take a closer look at Judas, shall we? Let's just take a closer look at Judas Iscariot. I think he had the best Bible study that was ever given, didn't he? I mean, you want to talk about, oh, who are you going to go listen to today? What church do you go to today? Oh, what church? Who's your preacher? Who's your? I think Judas had the best one. Uh, I think he had the best guy praying for him. I think Judas Iscariot had nonstop care and accountability. At Christ Central, our philosophy of this thing called small groups that we are launching, especially here for Placentia, is our mission is not to just grow big, we want to grow smaller. Because we really believe that intimate, heartfelt, honest, Broken relationships with one another is one of the primary ways in which God grows his people. And so small groups is not about just the bigger we get, but it's the smaller we grow. And I have found oftentimes that people throughout the history of Christ Central have developed some sort of pride over their small group. And it's all cute. It's funny. It's good. They say stuff like, oh, pastor, my small group was like the best ever like we still get together on vacation time. You know, you say we shouldn't have small group. We still meet. We love each other. We're like the best ever. You know what I tell you? That Judas Iscariot he had the best small group ever. His small group leader was divine. Um, You can't can't sign up for this small group. God himself has to select you. (laughs) They did not meet just once or twice a week and you say, oh, we're the best small group. Harold, we meet twice a week. We're like nerding out on this. We love each other. We meet twice a week. Can I tell you that in this small group, they never went home. They like lived and slept together 24-7 for three years. Judas Iscariot had the best pastor, the best prophet, the best king. He had the best accountability partner. He had the most powerful prayers. He had the most intimacy. He had perfect everything at his fingertips. Let's press a little bit further. Let's not just take a closer look at Judas. Let's take a closer look at what Judas did. What did he do? What did he do? The gospel records make plain that part of Jesus' small group, part of Jesus' church is always not just for you to be blessed, but to become a blessing to others. You see, all of this blessing that's being poured out is not just for here. It really isn't. It's for North OC. It's for your soccer mom friends. It's for your doctor friends. It's for your classmates. It's for North OC to be dented by the reality of the blessing that we get here. And look at what Judas did. Time and time again, the disciples went out on, mission trips they were filled with the power of the holy spirit they went out in the name of jesus and at their fingertips because of the name and power of jesus jesus the disciples could heal diseases wipe away your tears cast out demons miraculously change lives When it says all the disciples went out on mission trips, you make no mistake, it included Judas Iscariot. It's not like he was just hanging back at home by himself. He was there with them. And dare I say, he probably saw much more miraculous changes, many more people get touched and healed and blessed and just flipped upside down than a lot of us will ever see in our lifetimes. Take a closer look at how supremely Judas Iscariot was blessed and then I want you to take a closer look at how much of a blessing Judas Iscariot was to how many people but here's what the scriptures reveal Judas Iscariot never became Christian Judas Iscariot never became a beloved son of God. Judas Iscariot never experienced in his heart the saving reality and love of Jesus that changed him inside out. The very man who was so intimate with Jesus in the best small group ever was blessed to be a blessing, he himself did all kinds of Christian things, learned Christian things, said Christian things, sounded Christian, but he himself never became Christian. That's the tragedy. You know, back in June, the founding senior pastor of a church dear to our hearts called Cerritos Presbyterian Church by the name of Reverend James Huangbo we mourned at his funeral, uh, he, he died from cancer, and his eldest son stood up at the funeral in his eulogy and shared how when the oncologist diagnosed him with cancer, how his dad, James Huangbo, exclaimed in the doctor's office, thank God, I'm ready to, ready to go home. And he turned around and shared the gospel of Jesus to his doctor. On January 25th, 1736, John Wesley, that prolific, famous writer of hymns, was aboard a ship to go preach the Christian gospel to the pagans, the heathens, the lost. And on board that ship during worship service, a storm like Hurricane Irma rocked that boat. He said the waves were so high, they were overwhelming the boat. He thought the ship would break. He was certain that they were going to die. And he was freaking out, terrified. But over there, he saw a group of German missionaries. They were called Moravians. As calm as could be. Singing hymns as calm as they could be. While the winds rose, the the, the waves raged. People thought they were going to die. John Wesley observed, how can these people be so calm? And do you know what happened to John Wesley as a result? He himself for the first time converted and became a Christian himself. You can learn Christian things. You can do all kinds of Christian things. You can look and smell and sound Christian. But even Jesus had one by the name of Judas Iscariot. You see, Jesus never really made sense to Judas. Who Jesus was and what he came to do never clicked with Judas. Do you know how you can better discover if you are like Judas or a real Christian? Do you know how? It's not when things are going well. You better discover it Discover it when things are at their worst. A cancer report. A shipwreck. And for Judas. On his worst and final and fateful day. After he had sold out Jesus for 30 silver coins. Which by the way was the price. For when your bull gored someone else. Or it was the customary price of a slave. For 30 silver coins. Jesus sold out Jesus. Judas sold out Jesus. And he so Overwhelmed, He is so crushed with grief and shame and sorrow, he took his own life. On the worst fateful final day or night of Judas, he couldn't take it anymore because he could never believe that the same Jesus he betrayed could come back and forgive him. You see, in other words, my friend, you know the gospel, the sweet, saving, life-giving gospel, which means good news of Jesus Christ, it's a message, it's a truth, it's a reality, never clicked with Judas because Judas could never believe, he could never believe that Jesus came to love and save sinners, even the worst kind, even those who betray him. Has this gospel ever clicked with you? I'm not asking, do you know Christian things? I'm not asking, do you act Christian? I'm not asking, do you try hard to live like Christ? I'm not asking, do you smell Christian? I'm not asking, do you have Christian lingo? I am asking you, has the gospel clicked? Clicked. Here's two things that have to converge for the gospel of Jesus to ever click. Two things have to come together. First, you have to see your own betrayal, but then the second, you see the face of a savior who still wants you, still loves you, and then he tells you, I'll never let you go. Two things have gotta click for anyone to become a Christian. You have to see your own betrayal. And then second, you got to look up at the face of someone who says, I still want you. I still love you. I'll take you back as if nothing ever happened. I'm still going to use you and I'm going to use you and use you and I'll never betray and I'll never let you go. The first part, you have to see your own betrayal. That's the hard part. That's the difficult part. That's the part nobody likes. But I'll tell you, you'll never have a good part without this part. Nothing will click without this part. See your own betrayal. What does it mean that we could be betraying the Lord? If you have never considered, could Judas be me? If you've never thought, could I be like Judas? If you've never ever imagined, wait a second. When Jesus asked the group of disciples, who is it to betray me? And you have never seriously taken into consideration that actually could be you that I'm here to tell you. You're actually just like Judas. Because Judas was the only guy who was oblivious and hardened and his conscience didn't work and he never thought it could be him. Do you know what Satan who we have to mention because Satan entered into him. Do you know what a singular mission in life is? 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Apostle Paul describes this to us in this way, the first half. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. The singular mission of Satan is to make you spiritually blind. He repeats it in a different way. It's to make you not see. See what? Your true spiritual condition. Peter was blind. Judas was blind. Neo-Nazis are blind. Are you blind? Blind to what? Your own betrayals. Here's what Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. He diagnoses the spiritual condition of all of humanity. 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's a biblical scriptural diagnosis. It basically says it's impossible. No matter how much you try, you can't please God. No matter how much you want to, your mind is hostile to God. Do you see your own betrayal? And if you don't see this at work most profoundly and powerfully in your heart, I want to tell you, my friend, you don't know your own heart. Albert Camus, in one of his novels entitled The Fall confess this, quote, I used to advertise my loyalty, but I don't believe there's a single person I loved that I didn't eventually betray. I don't believe there's a single person I've ever loved that I didn't eventually betray somehow. How about with Jesus? Do you think that somehow you've ever betrayed Jesus? Betrayal. Scriptures say, Betrayal, Sin is a form of betrayal. It's the worst kind because you're doing it against God. Let me give you an example. If you tell somebody, hey, stop telling me what to do. Stop nagging me. Stop interrupting me. Stop trying to intervene in my life. Please just get out of my life. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. I don't owe you anything. If you say that to somebody, that's rude. But it's okay if, in fact, you owe that person nothing. If a random stranger off the street came up to you and said, hey, I'd like to tell you how you should live. I'd like to tell you what you should do for me. I'd like to tell you how you should change. You probably would say, hopefully not as rude, get out of my life. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. That's rude. But it's true. You owe nothing. But what if you said that to someone you did owe? What if you keep saying that to someone you do owe? And maybe you owe everything. Yesterday, on Saturday, my youngest daughter tells us she has outgrown her twin-size bed. Daddy, Mommy, this bed's too small. I'm uncomfortable. And so Sonny says, Harold, today we got to get her a new bed. Now, I am like Mr. Domestic. Like It's like my happiest day is to do domestic chores on a Saturday. That's called sarcasm. (laughs) That's like the last thing I ever want to do. But I've been doing some yoga, so my back is better. Sonny actually complimented I was actually helpful this time. We got the queen-size bed from downstairs in the guest room, put that up into her room, took her twin-size bed, put it downstairs. And last night, while well, she was sprawled out on this bed, that's now too big for her. She was only on one half. I dared to lay down beside her. Right around 1030 while she's watching her iPad. Free on weekends. It's okay. But I lay down right beside her. Do you know what the first thing she tells me as she leans over? Daddy, get off my bed. (laughs) Oh, she knows how I love her more, how I adore her more. It's all reverse psychology, but it works. She learned from the best, her mom. But anyhow, Elizabeth, get off my bed, get off my bed. And I thought to myself, this rotten, wretched girl. Who bought you that bed? Who moved that bed? Whose house are you in? And you know, every parent in this room in their right mind will say one of the most heart-ripping things your son or daughter could ever do, okay, could ever do, is actually not commit a crime. It's not become infamous for something awful. It's for a child to come straight to your heart and say, mom, dad, I want nothing to do with you. Get out of my life. You know, in wartime, if you capture an enemy soldier, they become a POW, a prisoner of war. But at wartime, if you found out someone on your own side was undermining, conspiring, plotting to execute your officers and take out your president, they don't become a prisoner of war. They're executed on the spot because that's called treason. That's betrayal. There's a huge difference. And my friend, if and when you hear Jesus tell and ask you, there's one of you here who will betray me. Do you ever wonder and ask, could that be me? Jesus, am I holding back on you? Jesus, are you talking to me? Jesus, are are you talking to me? Do you actually know my heart? Do I go on and pretend to live as if I owe you nothing when I actually owe you everything? Do I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and all my strength? Jesus, or am I constantly telling you in every which way, get out, this is my bed, my life, my room, my money, my finances, my home, my relationship, my sex, my identity, get out of here. Do you see your own betrayal? Nobody likes this part. But you'll never, never get to the good part. If you see your own betrayal, now I want you to come to Jesus and see what he can do for you. If you see your own betrayal, see a savior of what he can do for you. Here's what Apostle Paul agonized over in Romans chapter seven, right toward the end. Listen to what he says. He in effect is saying, I didn't know I was this bad. I'm figuring out how wicked and depraved I really am. Here's what he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what that sounds like? I've given up on every self-salvation method. I'm done with trying to be a better Christian. I'm done with trying harder to save myself. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me? And then in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want you to get this, my friends. I want you to get this, my friends. What makes the difference? What makes all the difference in the world was not what Judas or Peter could do for Jesus. What makes all the difference is what they were willing to have Jesus do for them. Christianity is not just this song. We love you. We love you. We give you everything. We serve you. I'll sacrifice everything. Christianity is not just about that. That is actually the response. It's not about what you could do for Jesus. It's mainly about what you're willing to have Jesus do for you. If you see your betrayal, do you see a Savior who would still take you? You know, all the usual spiritual questions and measurements we use today are not helpful. They're not helpful. How devoted are you? How involved are you? How many classes did you take? What school did you go to? How much are you giving? How long do you serve? How long have you served? How committed? You know, if you keep asking those questions, once again, they're not helpful because Judas did all those. You're no different from Judas. How trusted are you? How significant are you? What's your title? What's your role? Again, it doesn't make you any different from Judas. He was entrusted to be the treasurer. He took care of the money bag, one of the most sensitive, entrusted positions. He was an officer next to Jesus. He was so close to Jesus, he sat down sideways and ate with him. Other questions would go, well, Harold, you know, how many people have you touched? How many people are you reaching? How many people have come up to you and said their lives have changed? They've been healed. They've been forgiven. They've been set free. How many? How many? How many? Tell me how many. Once again, that question's not helpful because no matter how you answer the question, it makes you no different from Judas. So what would make you different from Judas? How would you measure whether or not you are any different from Judas. It would not be any of those questions. I would suggest you should use the metrics of Christ-likeness. The scriptures call it the fruit of the spirit. It's the marks and telltale signs that Jesus has taken residence in you. And here's the questions that are really helpful. You in the midst of you being so busy and doing all these things in public. You're so tremendous in public. Are you just terrible to be around in private? Are you less critical of people? Like based on one or two impressions, you just dismiss. Are you less critical of people? Are you less controlling of people? Are you more forgiving? If you're passive aggressive because you're always so scared of telling the truth, but that truth may hurt, but that truth is the only thing that can love and serve and help the other person. You see, if you're passive aggressive, you're still serving yourself. Are you becoming more confrontational and direct? If you're too confrontational and angry and direct, are you becoming more gentle and gracious? Hey, when you fail, when you fail, when you're at your worst, are you more poised? When you succeed, if you happen to succeed, are you more humble and give all praise and glory to God? Are you more forgiving? You see, the question that really matters is, are you changing and becoming more like Christ? Are you more loving? Love, joy, peace. And the only way this can happen, my friends, is not based on how smart you are. The only way this happens is not based upon how many resources you have. The only way you become more like Jesus is not because you studied so hard. I mean, can you imagine you wanna play like Michael Jordan so you study really hard. Will you ever become like Michael Jordan? No, you would need the, the miracle of Michael Jordan taking over your whole body and you growing like another foot <laughs> and being able to jump just like him. Your resources, your resume, your titles, none of it would happen. None of it can make you change and become like Jesus inside out. So the only way, wretched man that I am, that I'll be set free is for Jesus, none the less than Jesus, to enter and to come live inside of me. That's when you know the gospel has clicked. Because if you see your own betrayal, you see your true spiritual condition, but you look up at a Savior. And says, "You know, I still want you. I still want to love you. I want to come live in you, and I'll never let you go." And you say, "Jesus, come in, come in, love and save someone like me." And when He comes and lives in anyone, breathes and bursts new life into any sinner's life, that sinner's life gets utterly changed, to become look like His. See your own betrayals, but see a loving Savior who loves you infinitely beyond anything you could have imagined. If you doubt that Jesus can do this, we just go back to the story. I want you to see what Jesus did with Judas. Did you notice this part? No one knew. He gave him the moral bread, but no one knew what Jesus was talking about. We know that Jesus knew. Why doesn't Jesus call him out? Why doesn't he expose him? Why, doesn't, why is he discreet? In fact, he's protective of Judas, the one who's going to betray him. Why does he do this? Why does he give him a morsel of bread, which is a sign of friendship and fellowship? Why does Jesus keep doing that? Here's why. He doesn't immediately crush anyone. He doesn't immediately and personally and reactively crush Judas. He's seeking to convert him. He gives Judas a second, third, fourth, a lifetime of chances Jesus Jesus is basically telling you, I see you, I see you. I don't want everyone else to see you. I'm going to give you some time and space. But I'm going to give you some time and space to repent and change and come to me. Do you know that Jesus did the same thing with Peter, who betrayed Jesus three times? You see, we began with, really, which is worse? That you're unaware and oblivious that you could ever betray Jesus? Or that you are so bold, so confident, so brash, with such certainty. Jesus, I will never, ever betray you, but you still end up doing it. Which is worse, Judas or Peter? But Jesus comes after both. And when he comes after Peter after he had betrayed him three times, the end of their life stories could not be more different. I want to ask you as we close, what made him so different? Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus. Judas was possessed by Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan. What made the difference? Here's what made the difference. Judas took his own life because he could not get past how he had betrayed Jesus. Later on, Peter gave his life for Jesus because he couldn't believe Jesus could love him after he had betrayed him. Judas took his own life because he could not get past his betrayal of Jesus. Peter gave his life. The story goes, I am not worthy to die like Jesus. So he was crucified upside down as a martyr. A coward became a courageous witness. Let me tell you, my friend, the only way you're going to become courageous for Jesus is if he looks all the way deep down into your greatest fear, your greatest shame, your greatest sin, he sees it all, and yet you give it to him, and then you get covered by love, and you are forgiven. Judas died because he couldn't believe Jesus died for him. Peter died for Jesus because he did believe Jesus died for him. The difference between Judas and Peter The difference between someone who is not yet a Christian and someone who is a Christian is simply this. It has nothing to do with what you can do for Jesus. It has everything to do with what you are willing to have Jesus do for you. What can he do for you this morning, my friend? What do you really want Jesus to do for you this morning? Can he have your sin? Can he hand over your betrayal? Can you give him your heart and your life? Can you? Well, maybe it's because you see Jesus has done all of that for you. See the loving Savior. Let me close with this verse that we had just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And I left out the second half on purpose, but let's just finish it as we close. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. So Satan's singular spiritual mission is to keep us blind to our true spiritual condition to keep us from seeing. Here's the question. What is that one thing that Satan wants to blind you from? What is the one supreme thing that Satan wants you to never see? Here's how he concludes. To keep you from seeing the light of the glory, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When you come to the light where Jesus knows everything but still can love you, when you believe in the gospel, the good news that Jesus can love and save the worst of sinners, the worst of sinners like me, a betrayer, and you begin to see the visible radiance of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is God himself, this will make all the difference in this life and in the next, in the next life to come. Right here, right now, the light of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. I pray you see it. And if you can see it, follow him.